House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. You are back in the House of Mystery, and we are at the interview part of the show, and uh, we're coming up with great crime fiction authors lately. We've been kind of uh, expanding into some of the new categories. Um, now, today we have a person that um, has done some great books. His new book is called A Beautiful Corpse, and it's a Marshall James thriller. Um, he has several other books. It looks like he publishes as well with Maid Mark and does a little podcast himself. So um, thanks for being on the show, Mark McNeese. My pleasure. And um, the, uh, I was just going to say real quick to Marshall James, I was, I'm was i adopted. My birth name was James Marshall. So the character, uh, the lead character in that, that series is a play on my birth name. Oh, you know, it's funny. I was going to ask you that. I was going to say, um, who is Marshall James? Is that you? Like, where do you get your character from? There you go. Yeah. Well, well that's where I got his name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't live all this adventure? No, but I did live in New York for 25 years. Oh, God. Still alive, too. Um, now, how did you get into writing? Like, what brought you into this world of, of writing and crime fiction as well? Well, that's a two-part question. Writing, I started when I was a child. I remember writing short stories. Um, when I, I honestly was not more than 10 years old, I had a, I had a stuffed St. Bernard, not a, not a taxidermy stuffed, like a, it was a toy St. Bernard, but he was very big, though. And I wrote a short story about my dog, and that started it off. And I just kept writing for years and years and years, and it, would, it went in phases. I wrote... Uh, short stories for 10 years and I wrote just poetry for 10 years and then for 10 years I wrote plays had a number of those produced and then 8 years ago maybe 9 years ago <clears throat> I was at a LGBT resort in the Poconos that hopefully still exists with we're waiting to see who's going to still be in business after all this stuff has going on with the with the lockdown and everything yeah it's pretty interesting but we, um, it's a resort, and we went there, and I said, this would be a great place to set a murder mystery to my husband. And uh, so I did. I wrote one. I'd never written one before, but that was my first murder mystery. And that series, I'm now finishing the sixth book. It's called Kyle Callahan Mysteries. Sixth book in that one. And that's how I got into crime writing. You know. Did you, well, it's, it's, it's uh, actually, before we get, uh, has this... Um COVID-19 and, and all of this issue and lockdown and all that, does this cause or have an effect on the way you write? No, because one of the things I love about writing and am a writer as opposed to something more public like an actor or, or some performer is that the isolation of it. I, I can create with just me and a keyboard because nobody's looking at me. So my imagination has no impediment i don't censor myself when i'm as a writer uh, it's a pure form of just imagination for me along with being a craft but so the so the lockdown doesn't affect that at all i've been getting up at five o'clock in the morning for for decades because i've always held a regular job um so i write in the mornings before i go to work so that has not had been impacted at all by the lockdown yeah, but I just wonder, does, you know, when something dark is happening in the world, like right now, there's a lot of um, 
turmoil, right? You look at uh, the U.S. where you live and you look at, uh, you know, the, the things going on with people protesting and all the deaths and stuff. Does that darkness um, come into your writing? Only if I were writing something that was that that was involved that currently. Like if I were writing a story that was taking place right now, it certainly would. Um, it would be part of the story because I write about uh, where I live and what I'm going, you know, what I go through and what I see around me. Uh, but I'm wor I'm working on things now that are have aren't in that time frame, so. You know, and in also I work. I'm a, I'm a quote essential worker. I work in a grocery store, so I have never stopped working all this time. I've been going to work five days a week. Mm -hmm. So now, now your characters that you write about, like in the crime fiction, like where you've got uh, beautiful corpse and Marshall James or James Marshall is where you got the name. Now, how do you develop that character over several books, and and how do you? How do you, uh, like, what is it that you draw? This, this is really interesting because I've only written true crime, and so I write about characters that, you know, I, I find out the facts and kind of just do that. But you actually have to take a, take a character and several characters and develop them throughout the story, how they act and react to different, you know, events in the book and stuff. Where does that come from? Well, some of it comes from, I wrote short stories for a long time, and I, did, I could write a short story without an outline, so I didn't have to do character biographies. But then I started writing plays, and, and character biographies became an essential part of playwriting, W-R-I-G-H-T, because it's like building a ship. So I got into the habit then of writing, uh, writing out a character biography. I used to do it for every character. I don't do that anymore. It's very time-consuming. And I'm better now. Uh, once a character is established, they develop over the course of the of, of book. If it's a character that's in several books, and mine tend to be series, um, they develop over the course of, of the books. I, uh, the, the first book, they might be a little, a little rough. They also develop over the course of, of an individual book character I discover them as well as write them so that when I when I started Mar the first Marshall James book it was called Murder at the Paisley Parrot <clears throat> I'm create the character I start writing it and then I learn more about him or her because I also have a series with a, a woman protagonist Maggie Dahl and I I'm, I'm just trying to say that they they fill out as I write and I learn things about them that I didn't know on page one so even writing the book itself is a way of character development. And a lot of times they surprise me. I mean, they really do surprise me, a lot of times. So, so you get, you, you do, they almost come to life then, right? The, these characters, some of them are actually, um, they're real in your mind, so to speak. Oh, yes, they are real and they're beloved. I mean, I get really attached to my characters, like... The Kyle Callahan character, he has a husband named Danny Durbin, and um, his best friend is a retired detective named Linda. She was a lesbian. But they, they take on a life of their own, and, and like I'm writing this, this new one of his because I wanted, I wanted to give them some kind of, I hate the word closure, but I wanted to bring that series to, to an end, whether I write another one or not. 
because I owed it to them, not just to me, but I owed it to the characters to give them some kind of ending. And um, the Marshall James book, the one that we're, we have been talking about, I just contracted with a, g- a really good narrator to do the audiobook because I wanted him to have a really good audiobook. I wanted to find somebody who could do justice to the characters. So they are very much, uh, they're not throwaways to me. You know, not the central characters. I don't write them and invest all that time and effort to just get up and walk away and think of them as nothing more than figments of my imagination. Well, I find that interesting. I, 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 I don't quite get the concept, but that's just not who, who I, not the type of writer I am, I guess. Um, when we talked to uh, J.D. Horn last week, he was saying that he uh, put uh, people that he knew that he really didn't like in his book <laughs> as characters. So if he used, if, if someone says, you know, like when someone says to use people, you know, am I in your book? Or you get people like that. He said if you were in his book, he really doesn't like you. So I, I, <laughs> is that sort of something that you can relate to or is that not? I can relate to them as murder victims. Definitely. Because I, I, I jokingly said to people, you know, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to put you in my book and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I get to I get to kill people as a fiction as a writer of murder fiction. I get to kill people and get away with it. Um, but I do. I often there are a lot of people in my life or in my books um, with a name change and some other things. Um, like my, I just like to do. I like to do that. I like to write about what I know. For instance, we just we recently. Well, it's been like almost three years now. We have a house in rural New Jersey. We lived in New York City. So I would, all my, my books were set in New York City because I know the city really well. And then we moved out here to our house in New Jersey. And strangely, all of my characters moved to Lambertville, New Jersey. Because um, I like to write about the environment that I'm living in. And I will, I definitely put people that I know in my books. Um, would, would it be enough for them to recognize themselves in the book? Would it I don't, be like for like? Or? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. And it tends to, when I do that, it's a minor. It's a minor character. And also, I'll put names, people's names. I'll use their first names. I'll use their names. But when I, if I'm going to put somebody in my book, it tends to be a, like a minor character. It's sort of an inside, not an inside joke, but an inside thing where I recognize it and they might recognize it. Mm-hmm. The readers certainly won't. And, and for instance, the, the couple, Kyle and Danny, Danny was managed a restaurant called Margaret's Passion. Margaret was my mother's name, um, and I've always loved the name. So I was doing homage to my mother by putting that in there. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I do it. And in terms of some of your plots, do they come from real-life experiences that you or friends may have had, or what are your influences? They come, from, well, they come from... Uh, places more like with the with the um, the Kyle Callahan. I, I keep bringing that up because I've written six of those. Um, I was taking pictures, and I, there was the the pool at this resort was empty, and it was a beautiful image of this empty blue pool with leaves in the bottom. And I took a picture of it, and that's what inspired the first book. I because I imagined a dead body at the bottom of the pool, a handyman who were, and then and then it was a handyman. Who worked there, and then it was all about like who killed him, why was he, why was he dead at the bottom of the pool? Um, so that that 
comes into play, and then also the fact that I lived in Los Angeles for 12 years. So the Marshall James books, it's current because he's almost 60 now, but he's telling stories about these murders that he was involved in. When I say that, he didn't, he was not, he's not a killer, he's a protagonist, but he happened to get caught up in several murders in Los Angeles in the 1980s. So it, it allows me to go back and write about 1980s Los Angeles. Um, and I, that's that's the kind of thing that I love doing. Would you, if you'd had another career, would you have liked to have been in crime enforcement or as a police officer or detective? Yourself? Well, I would have liked forensics. You know, maybe oh, yes. maybe a lot sure. of people think that would be fun, but um, a, a cop. It's hard to say because I grew up. I'm 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 61, and I grew up at a time where. For a gay man to be a police officer was kind of like not mm. really an option. Um, nowadays, I would probably be interested, but I would be much more interested. I know you have to work your way up to being a detective. You know, you don't get to be a detective generally without having been a beat cop first and that kind of thing and working your way up. That that doesn't interest me, but I'd love to just like magically be a homicide detective. For sure. You can you can do that in the UK. You can okay, yeah. um, now now you can. You, you never used to be able to. Or clearly, you'd have to you know what you were from a police constable and and so forth. Now you can go in as a direct entry inspector. Yeah, or even in a direct entry. So as long as you've got the qualifications, you go through their series of training, and you can go in as an inspector, which is a detective, um, and, or you can go into um, superintendent. Well, I would be interested in, in like I said, in the, the CSI sort of aspect of it, or ballistics mm. would interest me, the science end of it, or as a private investigator. Yeah, that'd be fun. Mm. So searching out all sorts of stuff. Uh, now, this book that you've just written, um, now it's part of the Marshall James thrillers. Uh, maybe give the listeners a little rundown of what, what, the, what the book is about, the story. Well, I've decided uh, when I first thought it out in my head that it's going to—it's limit—it's a limited series. I love doing these things that are a little bit on the hyperbolic side, but it's—it's it's three books. It's going to be three books. This is the second book. The first book—it's Marshall James, as I mentioned. He's—he's—he's he's, he's me living in New York, but he's the cancer survivor. I'm not, fortunately. I've never had cancer, but he realizes in the first book that, you know, maybe he's going to beat this, and maybe he's not. So he wants to set. He wants to get it on the record that there were these three big events in his life as a young twenty-something in Los Angeles that involved murders and murderers. So we go back in time in each book. It opens in the present, and then in New York City, and then it goes back in time and tells a story. And in the um, the first two books are connected. The third book is not really going to be part of the the gay bar mob thing. But in the second book, he's um, it's kind of hard to explain without a little bit of the first book. In the first book, he's working in a he work he gets a job in a bar as a bartender in a gay bar, like a real dive gay bar, not not a dance place. <clears throat> and the mob runs it, and there's a murder, and he ends up being a suspect, and all this stuff, and he falls in love with this cop detective. And in the second book, it's it's six months later, a year maybe a year later, no, six months later, he's um sober. He's not drinking anymore, and he's living with the homicide detective Mac, Mac McElroy. People really like people really like their relationship. And um, in the second book, 
everything looks like it's going great. He's working at a different bar, even though he's not drinking. He had to get out of the the paisley parrot milieu, the mob milieu. Um, but he, got, he they have a fight, and he goes to a bathhouse, because that's what a lot of us did in the 1980s. Uh, I, I guess they still do. I don't know. I, it's been an awfully long time since I was with one of place like that. But he goes to a bathhouse and somebody chats him up and offers to buy him a Diet Coke. He says, okay. He goes to the bathroom. He comes back. And the next thing, he wakes up in the morning next to a beautiful corpse. That's where the title comes from. A dead a, a dead body of a young man. And he you know, he, he was drugged. Uh, he certainly didn't kill the guy. <laughs> and he goes running off and that sets the whole story in motion. And uh, once again, he somebody is setting him up to take the fall for a beautiful corpse. And that's that's it. He's out. He's trying to find out who set him up and at the same time make sure he's not the next victim. The cops are going to figure out that he was in this room, in this bathhouse room, really soon. And his, his lover, detective, can't really help him because he can't do that. He's a police detective. Um, so he's he kind of says, you've got 72 hours before you have to turn yourself in, Marshal. And Marshall says, okay, I'm going to try to figure out who is doing this. And that's the whole book. And um, it brings us to the end, and there is a definite a connection to the first book that I'm not, I can't say. <laughs> you could tell us, but you'd have to kill, kill us. <laughs> yes, and it, uh, it, it, it sets up that there will be a third book. But like I said, the third book is not going to involve the characters from the, the first two, the villains, I should say. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Do you, uh, do you read a lot of crime fiction yourself? I do, but I tend to read... Um, I have favorite authors, uh, like Michael Connolly. I, I'm, I'm going to guess you've heard of him. He's the, the Bosch, Bosch books, the Harry Bosch books. Right. Uh, that's, they're on Amazon. I love that series. Oh, my God, it's so good. There's going to be one more series of, of Bosch on Amazon. But I've been reading Michael Connolly for many, many, many years, since the books began. And also uh, John Sanford, he writes the Prey novels. Uh, P.D. James was, was to me, a master of, of the mystery. Um, so there's a bunch that I have read. And I like, I like series. I tend to I gravitate towards series because the characters get old with me. You know, like Harry Bosch is, is in his 60s now. Um, just like me, and when I started reading the books, he was in his 40s, you know. Um, so I do read, I don't read as much as I used to. I used to read a book, I used to read before I went to bed. That's how I went to bed. There was no television when I was single. There was no TV in the bedroom. So I would read before I went to sleep, and consequently I would read maybe a book a week, if possibly more, and now it might take me a month to read a book. Hmm. Well, I can I can relate that. I, I listen to a lot of books now. I, I'm not reading as much. Um, but just my old eyes just don't uh, do it like they used to. Um, Made Mark Publishing is that you? That is me. That's the Mark in there is Made Mark. Um, I Made Mark Publishing. I I came, I started that uh, oh, quite a while ago because I w I did a website for LGBT people over 50 called LGBTSR, LGBT Senior. Um, so I wanted, I wanted, I'm not going to call it an imprint. I mean, I've used it as an imprint where I had my own ISBNs and all of that. Uh, but it's really just an umbrella for the different things I do. The books I published, I'll say Maidmark Publishing on them. Um, yeah, so it is me. 
You, well, do you, do you find it a problem? We've talked about this with a few people. Um, do you think it's an issue that, may, that to publish um, stories that involve gay characters, um, is it an issue? Is it still tough to do uh, amongst mainstream publishing? I don't think so. Um, it's harder for me to speak to that because I'm very much a, I'm very much an independent publisher. I, I like that term. I know that it's, uh, most people would call it self-publishing. Um, so it's harder for me to say, but I just don't think so. I think that it, from what I read, um, unless it's unless it's really gay, you know, like unless it's queer fiction, then you're going to end up with a with a with a publisher. Uh, a smaller publisher, I'm going to assume, who specializes in that. But um, like Michael Connolly, if if he wanted to write a, a book with a gay character, I don't think he would have any problem. I don't think that there's a. I don't think it's. I just think it's kind of just like with marriage equality. I think to a large extent, we've been assimilated, and I'm going to think that for a mainstream publisher, it's more about how how many books can they sell, you know, and where, who's the audience for this. But the fact that the characters are gay, I don't think it's going to be a major issue unless they don't think people are going to buy it because of that. But I don't, hmm. I don't think that's so true anymore. Yeah. Yeah. We, when we hit, talked to Matt Luber more, that's, uh, hmm. he, he sort of mentioned that, that it was still pretty, pretty difficult for a, um, a gay writer to write a gay character and publish it in a mainstream for, you know, publisher. So, uh, well, I know Matt. I know Matt. Yeah. Um, and he could then I'm going to go with him because I but he would he would be definitely more versed in that than I am because I do write um, I do publish myself and I write in a niche but I but I also write mainstream books I have a book called A House in the Woods it's a thriller psychological thriller with a young straight couple there uh, there's no gay characters in there except her uncle um, so it's hard it's harder for me to speak to the the reality of that. Because I haven't done it, I haven't tried to, you know, get St. Martin's Press or Double to publish to publish my books. Right, right. Wow. So now you're doing um, a little podcast. Now, tell tell the listeners what your podcast is about. I have a podcast called One Thing or Another. Um, the title comes from a column that I a column I write, or well, I <laughs> I try to write called One Thing or Another. Uh, uh, it's always it's always one thing or another. Just basically a life. Uh, the column was really about an, a, a look, an, a light-hearted look at life aging and the absurdities of it all. And the podcast is just interviews and conversations. It's I wanted to be able to just talk to people that I find interesting. I've I've interviewed authors and um, cat behaviorists, um, Molly DeVos out in, Cal in Dallas. She, oh, I, she's fascinating. She's like a really, really licensed and uh, knowledgeable cat behaviorist, and she helped us with our cats because we just recently, made, well, a year and a half ago, we adopted two new adult cats because we had to, we lost our elderly ones. So, um, and uh, Holly Palance, who is a book audiobook narrator and the son of Jack Palance, the late Jack Palance. Mm -hmm. So I interviewed people that I think are interesting. Um, and and I really wanted to stay away from getting into a niche, into a. I didn't want to. Number one, I didn't want to just interview authors because I had done a lot of that um, under different auspices. I had a different podcast. I've interviewed a lot of authors, especially a lot of authors I know. And I wanted to be able to maybe talk to the owner of a cheese shop, or 
I talked to the owner of a, or, or the woman who is the artistic director of a local theater here in Lambertville. That's what that podcast is about. It's usually I try to keep it to about thirty minutes, and just talk to fascinating people or people who fascinate me. I hope they fascinate other people. I don't know, but it's called One Thing or Another, and you can find it at One Thing or Another Who would be your ideal person to interview on there? If you had a choice of anybody. Um, <laughs> oh, my God, that's like, who Who would you want to have dinner with? I, my first thoughts are yeah. Carol Burnett, you know. Um, I, 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 somebody that I know, I don't know him. I just know that he recently in, interviewed um, um, Titus Welliver from Bosch. To me, that's like a, that would be a fabulous interview or somebody like that. Somebody who's on a show that I watch, Christina Applegate. Or it could be an author, but I would probably go with an author who's not necessarily well known. You know, maybe a more obscure author, the author of something, a book that I that really mm-hmm. had an impact on me. Or, um, you know, so it's hard for me to say. I don't automatically go to celebrity at all. You know, mm, I think that's I think that's great. When we when we do these interviews, we, we quite often will say to somebody that. Al and I will bounce off each other. We we take the mickey out of each other constantly. We're friends. It comes through when we're having banter. And so we like to have a conversation as opposed to a Q&A session with somebody, which doesn't always work. Sometimes it's, it's, it's better to be more formal. Other times it's just a conversation. And I quite like the way you said um, that you really like to talk to uh, anybody that fascinates you so or that you might want to know a little bit more about so somebody from the local shop etc or a local profession um i really like that idea i think that's that is more telling and more informative to the the listener sometimes than than something that is quite pigeonholed yes and i just thought of somebody who's on my list my wish list for interviews and it's the mayor of lambertville new jersey we live we don't live in Lambert, but we live in the woods. We we live on a, in a very rural area, but about 15 minutes from a town called Lambertville that I love Lambertville so much. Um, but the mayor, she's a lesbian, and she she unseated a, a, the mayor who'd been in there for many many years, a couple years ago. She, that's I would love to interview her mm. if she's a list, if she happens to hear this. Oh. <laughs> you know, there we go. <laughs> and we're, we're not on his list now. Just to be clear, he's, he's not mentioned us once. No, <laughs> no I, that's because we're talking. Yeah, I'm, I'm already it, sort of interviewing um, you. We're we're okay. We're fine. We'll cope. Well, nobody nobody likes me anyway. Nobody ever. To, no, that's they wouldn't want me on there. Wow. So, um, where do you see yourself going? Um, are you going to continue writing like this, or are you going to start doing other things? Well, my big, my big dream. Oh, please, if dreams come true, is to quote retire. I'm not going to stop working because, unlike my husband, who is retired and stays very busy all the time, I I do everything creatively in the morning. I write in the morning, and by the afternoon, I'm like, what am I going to do with myself? So I will continue working, but I I currently work for health insurance. Now, in the United States, that's very common. That's extremely common. Uh, People work for the health insurance. So I don't hate where I work, uh, but I would like to not be tied to the job for the health insurance. So my big thing is I want to retire. I'm going to keep writing um, probably till I drop dead. Um, I've always... (laughs) 
I've, I've always thought that because it's something you can do. Unless you unless your mind starts to slip, you can write, you know, forever. Uh, unless you run out of ideas. I do think artists have uh, creative lives, and I think a lot of them uh, keep going beyond their prime. <clears throat> whether it's Tennessee Williams or somebody else, I mean, it's just an arc. So I may not be right. And when I'm seventy, I may not be writing with the, uh, you know, with the edge or the or the skill that I have at sixty. <laughs> but I do want to write. I'm just not going to stop until I run out of ideas. Is there something you want people to get out of your books when they read them? Is there some sort of underlying um, feature or? thought or, or something that you want people to understand after they read one of your books? I want them to, first of all, I consider myself an entertainer. I think my my prime, I wrote literary fiction for years. That's what I did. I come out of a literary fiction background. It is a thing for anybody who's, who's like, what the, what's literary fiction? It's not a snobbish thing. It, it actually is a, you know, there's literary fiction. Um, and I wrote that for a long time. So I think that that infuses what I write, especially my narrative. Um, I think I'm good at what I do. So I want people to I want people to go like, oh, he's good at what he does. He's not just another person who decided to you know start writing gay mysteries. And um, so I want people to think to know that I'm good at what I do and that I take I take turning those pages seriously. I want to keep them engaged and keep them going like, oh. Wow, I love that. Um, and that I that I just I take my craft seriously. That that um, I'm not a hack. I don't think I'm a hack. Uh, I, and I just I just sort of lost my train of thought. But you said, what did I want people to take away from the books? Oh, and also that older characters are cool. Older characters are great. You know, I wrote the one book with the young couple. I am going to write a sequel because of that. I wasn't. I was disturbed by the ending of the book. And so I thought, I gotta write a, I've got to write a second book, so she wins. Um, but I tend to write older characters, and I think a lot of people appreciate that. I've been told a lot of times from readers who go, like, that's really great, you know. You're not, you don't just write. See, you asked me if there were things I didn't want to talk about hmm. when we, before we started, and I will never, ever put a naked torso on a, cover, a book cover of mine. I just won't. I'm not going to knock my the people I know who do that. I'm not going to knock all of the straight women who are writing gay mysteries. That's that's gay men romance, whatever. That's their thing. I don't care. I don't read them. I don't, they can do what they want to do. But um, I write older characters. I'm not out to be salacious or, or or sell more copies because there's a you know there's a sex scene. I don't write sex scenes. So I want people to take that away from my books. That that it's that they can have a. Um, you know that they can have fun and be engaged and be kept into involved in a story uh, with with older people. You know, am I making any sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, I think one of the things that um, is, uh, I, mean, I think it's about being real and true to yourself and your beliefs, isn't it? So it's, uh, you know, you, you don't want, you don't want, and don't need to sell things through sex. You know, that's the bottom line. The characters have more depth than just the sex life. And I think, but I think one of the things that I was listening to just now that I know our listeners will have picked up on is uh, your reference to taking your cats to um, a cat behaviorist. And oh, I spent the last five minutes thinking, what were they doing? 
I'm intrigued by these cats. So I'm really sorry because I know this is really random, but I have to ask the question because it's in my head. Oh, well, what happened was, um, like I said, we lost our, we had to uh, euthanize our two elderly cats that we had. One of them was, well, and one of them was 18, Jessie. She was Jessie. She was my little oh, buddy. Wow. She, she slept with me for 18 years. So we, lo- we lost them, and I, don't, I can't imagine a home without animals, companions. And so we went and we went to the, S- AS- the SPCA in Bucks County in Pennsylvania, and we got this, we saw this little, little just like Spitfire cat named Wilma. Well, we named her Wilma. She was named Mabel, but um, no. So we renamed her Wilma. But we, and it said on the sign uh, came, that she came from a hoarder situation. I didn't, we didn't want kittens at all. She was three years old when we got her. But she was so adorable. We bring her home, and she's a mess. Like, there's this cat has issues. She won't come out from the couch, and she's... It was really um, not something I'd ever encountered. And then we got a second cat, because I, that's I, just how I am. I want two cats. And this one is five. Her name is Peanut. We did not change her name. And I put her upstairs, and she would try to come down, and Wilma wouldn't let her down. So there was all this stuff going on, and a friend on Facebook said, oh, you need to reach out to Molly DeVos in Dallas. She's a cat behaviorist. So I did, and she couldn't come to the house because she's in Texas. But Hmm. we Skyped, and I sent her a diagram, and she was so helpful in the things that she told me. And she's got a a podcast out, um, Cat Talk Radio, and... Uh, she works with a shelter out in Dallas. She's just really, really good and knows what is going on with animals, with spe- specifically cats. She's a cat behaviorist. For instance, she uh, um, Wilma, when we first got her, I put the litter box in the living room in the fireplace, by the fireplace, because uh, you introduce them into a single room. That's the better way to do mm. it. <clears throat> and she kept not using it. And I thought, where is this cat going to the bathroom? Yeah. And... There was a big pillow behind the couch, or on the side of the couch, behind the TV, like a big old pillow that just was there. And I, and I discovered that that's where she had been going to the bathroom. And Molly said she wants privacy. Put the litter box behind the television. And I said, okay. So I did it, and voila, she was absolutely correct. So she told us a number of things that, that were going on with these animals, and... They're best buddies now. They're, they hang out together. I love them. They, the only thing that's weird is Wilma. She's she. The living room is her space. It's really hard to get her to do things in the other rooms because this is where she was introduced and she kind of claimed this this area. But Molly was really helpful, and I can't you know because the last thing she she said her mission is to is to decrease the number of cats that are euthanize for behavior problems mm. because it's not necessary. It's very rare Absolutely. that you, ha- you actually have to put that, a cat down or get rid of it um, for behavior problems. Mm, exactly. Yeah, people need to be uh, getting rescues all the time. They need to be doing that uh, rather than um, buying them from you know, breeders and all that stuff. There's so many that need, need, need homes. Yeah. You know. Wow. Um, so now, um, now for the listeners, how do people get a hold of you? You have a website now. Well, I've had a website for many for years. Back when you remember when blogging was a thing. <laughs> I mean, you might think it's people might think it still is, but ten years ago, twelve years ago, maybe maybe fifteen now, blogs were a thing. It was before Facebook. 
before Twitter, so people had blogs, and that's when I started with a with a blog and a web slash website. So it's it, my website is just my name, Mark McNeese, M A R K M C N E A S E dot com, and you pronounced it correctly, which I because sometimes people go McNeese. I said no, it's like Mc, Mc, it's like lease grease piece McNeese. Uh, so it's markmcneese.com, and you can find my books are all there. Um, they can find it at the Maymark Publishing. Each there's there, you know there's pages for everything: the publishing and the audiobooks. There are samples of, from the narrators who've done my audiobooks. Everything about me is there. Fantastic! Now we're going to have that on our website as well, so people that are listening or uh, come to the to come to the show, they can do one click and they'll go right to your website. And uh, we recommend your books. Um, again, um, the person we're talking with today is author Mark McNeese, and uh, his latest book is called Beautiful Corpse. And it's a Marshall James thriller. Thank you for taking some time to talk to us today. Well, thanks for having me on, and you're on my list now. You're both oh. on my list. <laughs> <laughs> to find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Wave Media.